Hello there, friend. Welcome to Jesus Smart, the podcast. This is Brian Del Turco. This is the week in America preceding July 4th, where, where we celebrate the independence, the founding of America, and the American ideals, the American thoughts, the first principles that our framers, our founders instituted in the founding of America and which changed many nations around the world. Like setting in motion a string of dominoes, there were liberty movements and new nations and free governments which were formed in the subsequent years and decades after the founding of America in 1776. And America continues to have a key role in the world today with the influence of freedom, the preservation of liberty in the world, and the balance of the nations. July the 4th, 1776 was the signing of the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia. I think there were over 50 signers. Many of them paid tremendous prices, loss of property, damage to their families, persecution from the British when they invoked their names on that on that document. And that sparked the Revolutionary War and the quest for independence from the British. Now, America, what makes America unique in world history is that America is founded upon principles and ideals, not ethnicity. It's not founded upon the legacy of monarchical rule, you know, kings and queens. It's really, to my knowledge, the only nation or one of the very few, certainly the key nation, founded upon ideals, and it becomes a melting pot of ethnicity and immigration. It's a country built upon immigration, of course. Where did the people come from as America grew? Immigration. It's centered around ideals, and what we have today, of course, is a great war of ideas and narratives, a great cultural war over those ideas. And what would Jesus think? What is Jesus' dream for America? America is not a theocracy, but America is centered around ideas. One of those ideas is an ordered liberty. This is what the American founders had in mind. Catherine Lee Bates, in her hymn, America the Beautiful, she understood this when she included in the lyrics, confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty in law. Now, where did this come from? The American framers drew upon some of the best ideas from the Greco-Roman world, you know, Greece and Rome, reaching way back. Of course, those ideas gained a lot of attention during the Enlightenment, the Renaissance, Uh, and then the Enlightenment as well, Greco-Roman. They also blended in, though, a big dose of Judeo-Christianity in the philosophy of America's founding. So you have some of the best ideas from Greece, Rome, Judeo-Christianity, and the Enlightenment. So you had like the Renaissance preceding the Protestant Reformation in Europe. Following that, you had the Enlightenment. Hang with me here. I'm not an expert on history, I hope you don't find this boring. We have to see the big picture. We have to see the big framework of the flow of history and of narratives in history to understand our present moment. 
there was really a big difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Thomas Jefferson, he saw the French Revolution, which started in 1789, just a little bit after the American Revolution. He saw the French Revolution as something that was continuing in the spirit of the American Revolution. But John Adams, who was sort of a counterpoise figure in the time of Thomas Jefferson, and they became great friends. I really encourage you to watch the movie series, John Adams by HBO. Beautifully done, very inspiring, just a tremendous friendship that they developed. At first, they were sort of antagonists, but John Adams was very instrumental in the Constitution of the United States. Of course, Thomas Jefferson penned the Declaration of Independence. It was slightly edited by a committee after that, but Thomas Jefferson, largely responsible for the Declaration of Independence, he became our nation's third president. You have George Washington, second president, John Adams, who was a leading figure in the Constitutional Convention, Philadelphia, 1787, and then our third president, Thomas Jefferson. But Jefferson saw the French Revolution as an extension of the American Revolution. John Adams saw it differently, and it turns out that John Adams was right. The big phrase in the French Revolution was liberty, fraternity, and equality. But what the French Revolution did not have was the spiritual roots of the American Revolution. It did not have that strong emphasis, that Judeo-Christian element. They may have been drawing upon Greco-Roman ideas. They were certainly drawing upon Enlightenment ideas. But Judeo-Christianity, not so much. You see, what happened in America, really what happened in Britain and also in the American colonies before the founding of America on the eastern seaboard of America, the 13 colonies, was the first great awakening, a great spiritual movement in the 1730s and 1740s. It was an evangelical revival, Christian revivals that swept Britain and swept up and down the eastern seaboard of America, the eastern coast, the 13 colonies, And many people were converted, and this set the spiritual fervor and the spiritual stage and the spiritual worldview, the scriptural worldview for the American Revolution, the War of Independence, I believe, and the uh, Declaration of Independence and the Constitutional Convention to follow. You see, Edmund Burke, Edmund Burke was a Irish statesman. You may be familiar with his statement that the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. I love that statement. He's famous for that. But he was an Irish statesman, a philosopher. He served in the House of Commons in Great Britain. And he said that men are qualified for civil liberty Okay, civil liberty in society, living together in freedom. Men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their own disposition, okay, to put moral chains upon their own appetites. Okay, now this is old school. When you read some of these phrases and sentences from these individuals, you know, it's a little bit more than like a five word sentence, which. We may be, we may be see a lot of that today, but but let's just let, let's just soak in that sentence for just a minute. Edmund Burke: Men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their own disposition, right? Their own attitude to put moral chains upon their own appetites. 
And this is the difference in part between the American Revolution and the French Revolution. The French Revolution quickly descended into tyranny and it descended into a dictator by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte. The French Revolution did not have lasting power. It did not create the freedom, the civic freedom that the American Revolution produced. And it's because in the mix of their ideas, they did not have a strong dose of Judeo-Christianity mixing with the best of the Greco-Roman ideas and the Enlightenment ideas as the American Revolution had. Now, my friend, in America, and if you're in another nation listening, I hope you can have your own time of celebration for your own nation, or I don't know, maybe you want to celebrate America as well, or just have a great discussion with your friends. I don't know. But as you're sitting around a fire, a grill, a fire pit, and in America, as you're eating maybe the great American hot dog and apple pie and all of that Americana stuff, fireworks, maybe we need to have a discussion about some some ideas. I, I love conversations that matter. Do we always have to talk about trivia, right? Do we always have to talk about the weather? I don't know, things that kind of bore me fairly quickly. I enjoy a good conversation once in a while. And so, you know, maybe talk about natural law. <laughs> Take out the Declaration of Independence. Read read some of the, uh, some of these first phrases. We hold these truths. This is the eloquent pen of Thomas Jefferson. He he writes like a symphony, okay? He writes like a great violin player. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, not just Americans, all men on the globe are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And there were something like, I think, over 20 natural rights that they believed in, but he included three. He said, among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Oh, that's so good. Deriving their powers, these governments, from the consent of those who are governed. And Jefferson was drawing heavily upon the British philosopher John Locke, who was generating a lot of these ideas of natural rights. And they end the Declaration of Independence after they list their their grievances with the British crown. They have some paragraphs at the end, and they end with this statement, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, assembled appealing, listen to this, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. Isn't that beautiful? We appeal to the supreme judge of the world regarding our intentions, the correctness, the morality, the rectitude of our intentions. And for the support of this declaration, they continue, with a firm reliance On the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I read recently that once a people secures freedom in world history, and it does not happen often, it's never happened like it's 
like it has happened in America and what America has triggered in some other nations around the world. But once you lose that freedom, there is never an instance, they were saying, in world history where that freedom was secured again. Every generation has to understand the price of freedom. John Hancock, one of the signers of the Declaration, is famous for signing his name in a huge huge signature because I believe he understood that the King George had poor eyesight and he wanted him to see his name. And most of those signers, again, suffered loss of property, the burning down of their homes. They were chased. They, they, uh, their families were persecuted. Many of them, when, when they said, we pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, they knew that there was a cost. I think it was Benjamin Franklin. If not, it was one of the others who said, we either hang together or we hang separately. They knew they could die by hanging with uh, what they were pursuing. But this is the Declaration of Independence. Listen, these rights, they understood that these rights come from the creator, not the state. These rights do not come from a king. They are not granted by another human being. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That means these rights cannot be taken away. These rights do not come from a state. They do not come from a human being. They don't come from government. And so they cannot be taken away by government. That among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that only to secure these rights, governments are instituted by the consent of the governed to preserve those rights. And if the government were to ever infringe upon those rights or take those rights away, they actually have this language in the Declaration as well, then men have the ability, the stewardship, and the responsibility to rise up, throw off that government, and establish a new government that would pursue those rights. Isn't that powerful? This government, the American government and other governments that have been uh, sparked and influenced by the American Revolution, understand that rights come from God and not man. That human government is to be limited, very limited, in fact. The framers understood the federal government, the national government, as being a limited government, certain enumerated powers like defense, the preservation of property, uh, several others, and the rest of the powers were given to the states. It's a Republican form of government, not the political party Republican. It's a federation or a Republican in the sense of a national government working with state governments because they understood the nature of man because of the emphasis of their Judeo-Christian worldview and ethic. They understood the need for powers to be checked and balanced. That's why they established three branches in the federal government and took meticulous care in crafting that as outlined in the United States Constitution, 1787, Philadelphia, the executive government, which is the presidency and the presidential administration charged with executing the laws that Congress passes. That's the second branch of government, congressional, the House of Representatives and the Senate, elected by the people, representatives of the people. And then the third branch, judicial, as necessary to determine the constitutionality of the laws that are formed by Congress. 
even laws that may be signed by the executive branch and yet proven to be unconstitutional and reversed. So, but, but they understood separation of powers. They understood that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. The need for checks and balances between the branches of the government. This all comes from a worldview that understands the depravity of man, sin, <laughs> corruption, the need to be spiritually regenerated. And again, this quote by Edmund Burke, men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites. I know that sounds kind of austere, that language. It's just called self-control, my friend. If we don't live as citizens with self-control, we are only qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to our willingness to live with self-control. We just can't go out and do anything and everything that we want to do. We have to respect the rights of others, the property of others, right? The life of others, the sanctity of life. It's interesting that among all the natural rights that they spoke of during that time, again, I think there were over 20 which were outlined by writers and thinkers, but the three that Jefferson focused on, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life comes from God. Jesus came to bring abundant life to us, John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Liberty, freedom comes from God. Someone has said that God is the only ultimate, totally free being in the universe, but he offers to us his freedom. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you come to the son, you will be freed, freed from the tyranny of sin, freed from the tyranny of everything that sin generates in this world and the pursuit of happiness. We find our joy in God, our happiness in God, freedom of religious pursuit, religious expression, freedom of speech, freedom of thought. I love the quote at at the Jefferson Memorial on Washington, D.C., the quote from Thomas Jefferson that I have sworn eternal hostility upon the altar of God against the tyranny of man, against thought, that man tries to tell you how to think. Here's how you can think. Here's how you can't think. This is our framers. This is the unique genius of the American founding influenced in large part by the Judeo-Christian worldview, blended with some of the best ideas from the Greco-Roman world, the Greeks and the Romans, and also some of the best ideas from the Enlightenment, which was subsequent to the Protestant Reformation, I think 1690 to the end of the 1700s. You can see how the Enlightenment was happening right during the 1700s. And the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening, 1730s and 1740s, in Britain, but also in the, in the North American colonies on the eastern seaboard of America. And then I want to tell you about something else. The second Great Awakening in American history, in the 1830s and 40s, I believe, the second Great Awakening, probably the leading figure, Charles Finney, a great revivalist, a great thinker, became taught and then became the third president of Oberlin College. Oberlin College was the first educational institution in America to admit a black student. Oberlin College was at the forefront of the abolition movement and the freedom of slaves. Out of the Second Great Awakening, all kinds of societies were formed, organizations and movements to improve society, to influence culture. 
That's the tradition of the second great awakening. Many people getting converted and brought to Christ. Yes, repenting, but also the transformation of culture. And now many believe today that we are on the edge of and certainly in desperate need of a third great spiritual awakening in America and in the world. And let's close now. Would you pray with me? Would you just agree with me for our own individual lives, our families, whatever nation you're in, for a great spiritual awakening in your nation? And certainly as an American, I can attest that in this nation, we are in need of a third great spiritual awakening to revitalize again spiritual fervor, to bring an influx of Judeo-Christian worldview back into public discourse and back into thought, right? Harmonize again more with our founding. Yes, our nation has, has moved away from slavery. Our nation has moved away from the Jim Crow laws of the South. We have, we've, we've brought in civil liberties for all races. We've given women now the right to vote. That happened way back in the early 20th century. Our nation is an experiment. It's a great experiment. It's been termed living up to our ideals. But there are people today who actually want to change the ideals. They want to go back and change the DNA and turn America. I'm going to tell you, turn America into what they call democratic socialism, which has never worked in world history. It's been tried something like 25 times, and it has a 100% failure rate. But the idea with this movement is that this time we can make it different. This time it can work. It can't work. It won't work because it's not founded upon the right ideas. It's giving too much power to state government, to the government as a state. And power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And every time it's been tried, there's been a very few people at the top who are in great power drugged with great power and in great wealth, but the teeming masses, the promise never bears out for them. America has been much different. America gives you an opportunity. It does not necessarily guarantee equal outcomes for a plethora of reasons. Let's say you start some enterprise or some business. You're not necessarily guaranteed an equal outcome. There can be many variables as to why, but you are guaranteed an equal cut an equal chance, an equal playing field to do what you want to do, you see? And it's proven to be the form of human government. There's no human government that's perfect, but it's proven to be in world history the form of human government which generates the most freedom, the most economic elevation, the most prosperity, the most security in world history. Father, we we agree together right now. We see these principles outplaying in our own personal lives. Ordered liberty, self-control, to experience freedom, freedom from addiction, freedom from sin, freedom from the effects of sin, the tyranny of Satan. We see these principles playing out in our communities and in our nation. And ordered liberty. We pray for a great spiritual awakening in our own lives and in whatever nation we reside. May there be spiritual awakening, spiritual regeneration. May there be a Christ worldview which begins to grow and develop in people. A scriptural ethic. We could call it a Judeo-Christian 
worldview and ethic, which has generated freedom, prosperity, and civic liberty. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Ultimately, Lord, we understand. We look forward to your coming. We look forward to that heavenly Jerusalem coming to this earth. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. But right now, your word says that you have established the nations, you've established their boundaries and their times, that men should seek God and possibly find him. It's in the book of Acts. So, Father, we thank you. Let every nation fulfill its destiny. Let every nation live out its story under you right now. Even while we look to the new heavens and the new earth, we look to that perfect just society, which will only be perfectly administered and released by King Jesus on the earth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Lead our lives, Lord. Show us what to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, well, thank you for listening today. It's been a breezy episode, a little bit of a look at history, maybe a little sense of where we are at right now and our need, I'm saying, for a third great awakening. Many voices are saying this to preserve what we have, to recapture and to bring enough of a, of a mass, if you will, in, in people of understanding our DNA to preserve this great American experiment. But whatever nation you're in, these principles, our framers understood that these ideas were for the world, that no matter where you were at in the world, you're created by God and you have certain inalienable rights that come from God. Well, thank you for listening today. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, go to jesusmart.com. Remember, Jesus is brilliant. He knows how this life works best. He knows how society works best. You wait until he comes and institutes the society of Jesus in its completeness. But right now, we are a city on a hill, Jesus said, and we can live in the light and the potential of that city which is coming, the new heavens and the new earth. I appreciate you. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.